This is the Convergent Science Network podcast. Leading researchers in the domain of neuroscience, brain theory and technology are interviewed by Paul Verschur and Tony Prescott. It's Paul Verschur with the Convergent Science Network podcast together with my colleague uh, Tony Prescott and we're here at the BCBT Summer School 2015 in Barcelona and we're talking to Benny Hochner who gave a talk this morning about his work on an amazing animal, the octopus. So, um, why, Benny, of course we're, we're very familiar with the octopus in different restaurants and, and so on, sort of culinary experience, but why is an octopus so interesting also from a scientific perspective? Okay, uh, octopus is interesting uh, from from scientific point of view for several reasons. First, uh, it's uh, the best example for invertebrate or animal that uses soft body for uh, doing motor action with a very sophisticated uh, control mechanism of this uh, very complex uh, computational task of uh, controlling uh, movement in flexible uh, structure. And the, and the second uh, reason to... Uh, to the interest in, in the octopus, it's because octopus is considered to be the, the most intelligent uh, invertebrate. And therefore, uh, it's very interesting from a comparative viewpoint to see what has evolved independently in the octopus uh, that enabled this uh, high, what we can call cognitive capabilities of this uh, animal. And by such a comparative approach, we may uh, find the universal common mechanism which is which are important to uh, the evolution of uh, cognitive animal with cognitive capability mm-hmm. and complex uh, behavior. Okay, but now, so one thing you emphasize is complex behavior. Yeah. So. What kind of behavior should we be thinking about for the for the octopus? What's the most complex behavior an octopus is capable of? <laughs> this is a this is a tough question for a human being. I think you should ask the octopus what is very. <laughs> no, different. but given that you are the ambassador of the octopus in yeah. this room, <laughs> we're forced yeah. to ask you. Uh, so, um, for if if we speak about, for example, from a point of view of motor control in in animal which is doesn't have any hard skeletal structure that is able to do so much different uh, uh, different uh, forms of behavior from swimming to crawling to walking to hiding to go through very narrow uh, uh, holes to 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 extend arm into a target and to it. This is a very very uh, the repertoire of behavior is very is very amazing. And this is a predator animal with a very good uh, visual uh, system, and it's uh, very sensitive to what's going on in in the in the environment. And then it can uh, organize its attack behavior, and it's uh, 
uh, and all of it with with this flexible flexible body. Mm -hmm. so. Another reason I think which I got from your talk as to why octopus is so interesting scientifically is that from the point of view of mammals or vertebrates, which is what we are, octopus is really quite an alien species. Right. So we, we only share a common ancestor if you go a very long way back. Mm -hmm. So the interest in octopus is partly uh, around how it has come up with sometimes convergent solutions to the problems it faces, where it faces similar problems to vertebrates and in other ways perhaps divergent solutions would you would you agree with that yeah yeah i think this this is exactly uh what we uh find in, in our research and interestingly uh, we study both motor control and uh, uh, and learning a memory in, in in this animal so on one side because of this flexibility of the body and soft body we find very unique and uh, solution, evolution solution uh, to this big problem of controlling the flexible, uh, flexible body. While on the other side, in learning memory, we find in the brain an area which is very similar to our hippocampus, not only by structure, but also, for example, by by its uh, uh, very robust long-term potentiation, activity-dependent long-term potentiation, which is probably a common mechanism to mediate uh, changes in the nervous system, which is uh, the basis for long-term memory, uh, learning and memory. So there may be some convergence in yeah. these more cognitive functions. Yes. But the, the divergence that you're seeing in motor control, uh, some of that you then put down to the very different morphology of the octopus, that it has, it has no internal skeleton, Right. It's just made of, of soft parts. And right. that, th that then enforces uh, a different way of solving the, the problem of controlling limbs? Uh, I think yes, because it creates two main problems that I would define. One is the a soft structure, structure has infinitely large degrees of freedom that the animal has, the control system has to, to control while doing a, a certain task. In, for example, uh, in our arm, we have only seven degrees of freedom, which is relatively easy to solve, and this is due to the skeletal structure of our arm. When you have an arm without any, uh, any rigid skeleton, any joint, this is, can do any movement into any direction, elongate, bend, shortening, twisting, so and the octopus uses this uh, kind of uh, movement. So it has to 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 evolve a completely different uh, approach to solve this uh, this um, complexity and how to use it uh, to produce a uh, goal directed, for example, goal directed uh, movement. But just to push you on that, I mean, I, I, although I have only seven joints in my arm. I still have many ways of reaching to a given point in space. Right. So I have the same problem of redundancy yeah. Yeah. of degrees of freedom, yeah. not to the same extent as the octopus, yeah. but I still have to reduce right. the degrees of freedom, and I do that yeah. by exploiting synergies. Right. And isn't there some convergence maybe in the way that uh, the octopus uh, is also finding I think synergies? this is right. Is that also, the, what we find in the octopus is that in certain kind of behavior, and this is, uh, I think... 
a great achievement of the octopus, it can use all its degrees of freedom. For example, if the arm is as if behaved by itself when it's searching the surrounding and looking for and serving as a probe, then it can let the arm loose and do whatever it likes according to the to some uh, motor primitives that are embedded in the arm itself. While when goal-directed movement, the octopus has to use a way to reduce the number of degrees of freedom to only very few. So for example, if the octopus reach to a target, use only three degrees of freedom. One which took <coughs> sorry, which control the propagation of a bend in the arm toward the target, and the two others just to control the direction of the arm uh, in space. Uh, similarly, when the octopus is uh, uh, get a, get a food with its one of its sucker along the arm, and he wants to bring the food to the mouse, he creates an articulated structure from it from its arm. He reshapes its arm into articulated structure, and then he can bring the food to his mouse very accurately. Similarly, in the ways that we are doing uh, this this behavior, but. In our case, it's embedded in our, in our uh, skeletal structure, while in the octopus, it's basically embedded in the motor program. Mm -hmm. he, he used a certain way to reshape its arm into an articulate-like structure, which is a dynamic, can be dynamically adjusted to the site where the octopus got the target and bring the the target accurately to, to the mouse. But he, but, but he used the same mechanism, the same strategy of uh, doing accurate point-to-point -point movement. Now, before we delve into in, in your own research on on the behavior and then the control of these arms by, by the octopus, um, so is it actually even useful to talk still talk about degrees of freedom in this case? Shouldn't we just forget about that? Because it... it uh, it's practically an infinite set of, of control points it can work with. So to what extent is it really helpful to talk about degrees of freedom from that no, perspective? I, I, I think it's it's good from the point of view that you set to, to yourself the problem, what the problem the octopus has to deal with. Mm -hmm. and, and and what he has to deal with is to, do, to, to control many degrees of freedom. Mm -hmm. I don't think the octopus knows about this many degrees of freedom because it's embedded in his evolution and his structure and self-organization of its nervous system to be able to use this uh, many degrees of freedom and to collapse them in only few degrees of freedom by doing stereotypical movement which suit this kind of flexible structure. Mm. And it's also... Um, constrained by how how complex the motor the motor command can be to the muscle. Right. For example, a simple motor command to a muscular hydrostat like the octopus arm, where the where the arm is organizing longitudinal and uh, transversal orientation of muscle fiber, that activation of both muscle together to the same extent creates stiffening. So this is a very simple motor program. You have to give, uh, the brain has just to give the motor neurons in the arm a command to have the same output. Mm -hmm. 
And this is enough to create a stiffening. And then you can use a rather simple, I think, a motor program to propagate this stiffening uh, along the arm. And this can create the reaching movement very simply, not only by the, the, the degree of freedom that need to be controlled in to produce the movement, but, but also a very simple motor program to activate the, mm -hmm. the, the reaching. Now, before you look at the motor program, what is, what is interesting about the octopus, among many things, it's like a mollusk that, that escaped from its shell. I mean, in, in phylogenetically, it sits in this family of the phylum of, of mollusks. And right. it, its closest neighbors in that phylum are actually really simple animals that live in a shell. Right. So, so what, are the, what are the differences between then the octopus and the other animals in that phylum? Like if you look at the nervous system of a mollusk, um, and, and an octopus. What are the differences? First of all, there is a big uh, difference in the size of the, of the nervous system. The, octop the octopus nervous system uh, contains half a billion neurons, while a garden snail may have two ten of thousand, few ten of thousand uh, neurons. So there is a big difference in, 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 in uh, cell number. And also what we see is that there is a a huge difference in the way the nervous system is is organized in in the body. For uh, so, and both in the simple animal and in the octopus, the nervous system is organized to maximize the efficiency of the nervous system controlling different parts of the body. So, for example, in the octopus, the majority of nerve cells are situated already in the peripheral nervous system of the arm. And this fit what we are finding in, in the behavior in our physiological studies that many of the motor programs are generated at the level of the uh, neuromuscular system of the arm. So basically, the central brain, which contains only 50 million neurons, actually need to uh, process information and set command to the peripheral nervous system how to produce a stereotypical... Uh, uh, our movement. Now, the, the main difference really is that uh, lower invertebrate uh, mollusk uh, depends for their protec protection on, on the shell. The shell is a, is a, is a very nice uh, protection. I should mention that mollusk has another way of protecting themselves, and they are a very rich source for all kinds of toxins. So they are very uh, efficient uh, Let's say factory factory of of bio bio biochemicals or things that can uh, help us in studying the nervous system because they they block uh, ion channels and and receptor and so forth. So they use this kind of uh, of uh, defense mm -hmm. mechanism, and the octopus lost his protecting shell and became to be a freely moving animal, a predator, that is, depends very much on its, uh, on its uh, visual system, and, uh, and losing, losing the shell enabled the animal, the heavy shell enabled the animal to become such a freely moving and really mm -hmm. doing the evolutions that actually compete with fishes, the, the, 
at the time of uh, evolution. So, but is there anything conserved there? If we go from mollusks to snail to octopus, is there anything conserved when we when we go up I, into complexity? I I think this is a, a, a very good good question. I, I used to work on on uh, uh, Plesia californica together with uh, Professor uh, Eric Andel on uh, the basic mechanism of learning memory in, in this animal. So for me, particularly, it's very interesting to see if the simple uh, mechanisms that exist in, in, the, uh, in the aplysia for mediating simple form of learning and memory in the reflex uh, of the defense reflex of it, this animal are conserved or completely different mechanisms that is converging with the with our uh, with our brain has has been evolved in the octopus and what and what we find that no in the octopus there are still mechanisms which are more likely uh, to what takes place in other uh, mollusks but interestingly the, they have been modified a lot in order to establish a new cellular mechanism. So I mentioned before the mechanism of uh, uh, activity-dependent long-term potentiation, which I think it, it's the universal cellular mechanism for mediating learning memory. But the molecular mechanism that mediate this long-term potentiation in the octopus uh, vertical or octopus, uh, octopus brain is mediated by mechanism which is more typical, which is conserved from other uh, uh, mollusks, but it was modified to do this kind of long-term potentiation uh, as a cellular uh, process. But doesn't, in some sense, it makes the octopus a strange exception in this phylum, but also a bit annoying because, also as you described in your talk, you where you looked at the the evolution of of the order of the eye, the octopus eye, which shares many properties with the human eye, which is 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 sort of suggesting that indeed the common ancestor is is way beyond, uh, or very very early in in phylogeny, so. Um, doesn't that really mean that, that from a genetic perspective, uh, also these very simple organisms are actually carrying a lot of additional information that they share with us, way beyond just I the basics of cellular mechanisms and, and so on? Yeah, I, th I think this is uh, completely true, and I think it's fit, first of all, with the ideas. What we find is, you know, the, the, the number of genes... In our or in uh, octopus, is not that many. Actually, th probably they are rather uh, basic building block of genes that the first living creature already had when he, when it developed. So now, for for um, uh, for analyzing a light, so you have molecules that. Can be shared by plant, by uh, by animals, and by eyes, and by uh, other uh, other creatures that are using light to put, uh, to 
to do all kinds of chemophotosynthesis and things that, uh, like this, and they are built to uh, the, the word uh, to to collect light, to collect photons. No, to to uh, to transform. Transform. Mm -hmm. Transform. This is the convert. To transform light into into electrical, electrical signal. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm? Transduce maybe. Tran Transduce. Transduce. Transform. <laughs> Transduce. Anyway. Trans transduction. You know what we mean. It's called the transduction mechanism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah so. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, so, so now we have a bit of an idea about, about the octopus. It's really a very strange, almost an alien species that sort of got plunked into a phylogeny, but still it shares properties with, even with us. Um, now it controls this very strange body. Uh, it has eight arms, um, controlled by complex ganglia that again talk to a central brain. What do we know about these ganglia? What, what do the ganglia do? That, that are linked to a single arm. The, the, the ganglia in the arm or the ganglia in, 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 the, in the brain? No, no, the, the ganglia in the arm. So I want to start at the periphery. Yeah. Hmm. Actually, we, we don't know much about the ganglia in, in, in the arm, about the function of, of the arm. We, we know that there are motor neurons which are innovating about uh, 400,000 motor neurons in each arm that are innovating very uh, every uh, every uh, 100 micron the the muscle that run along the arm and each and each muscle is innovated by three type of motor neurons uh, that have different uh, properties but we don't know exactly what's going on in the arm in terms of the computational properties of this structure uh, the reflexive behavior we know that there is some uh, input from proprioceptive into the central nervous system of the arm, but we don't know exactly what how it's activated. The, for example, the the reflex of the suckers or the or the bending or any other mm -hmm. function of the of the arm. We know better due to many, not not our work, but uh, the the people in. The, um, uh, uh, Wells and Jay Zay Young and uh, other people that work in mainly in Napoli, they studied the the structure of the central brain, and they find uh, found very interestingly that the brain is organized still. It's a very centralized, but it's still composed of of uh, of lobes of ganglia, and by stimulating and by uh, by uh, lesioning, they could. Uh, assigned a more or less specific function for different lobes. And this is what makes us uh, interested in this uh, central brain because we, we think that the separation between the periphery and the central processes, the, 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 the central brain seems to be dealing more with, with cognitive function we think it's an ideal preparation to study these processes because it's separated from 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 the input and the output uh, uh, structure. And if in vertebrate brains, you might look at sort of the spinal cord as being doing a lot of this motor sensory stuff and processing things locally, exactly. and then. Uh, 
brainstem perhaps doing some more of that and then and then midbrain and forebrain doing these more higher executive functions yeah sort of deciding what are targets for movement and then executing movements i mean does that kind of uh way of thinking about the decomposition in the nervous system work at all for octopus i think yes but uh and and actually you can look at the uh, nervous system of the arm the arm the arm nerve cord as as a as a spinal cord but it's much more elaborated than for example our uh, spinal cord because of the special uh, a separation of labor between the central nervous system and the peripheral one. The peripheral one has a lot of function of its own, and therefore, although it, you can uh, we treat it as a peripheral nervous system, it's very elaborated in its organization because it's its function both in processing sensory information and uh, activating motor motor uh, program is uh, is very rich. The, but if you if you take the head off a chicken or you know you you decorticate a cat, yeah. they can they can still generate um, rhythmic motions, run on yeah. the treadmill, these sorts of things. So is yeah. there a parallel there with? So I understand that the arm can can do a lot of autonomous behavior. But yeah. So yeah. so for example, uh, the central brain is 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 uh, is divided into two parts. One is which is above the esophagus, which is called the supraesophageal uh, part of the brain. And there is a lower part, which is a subesophageal part. So the subesophageal part is really like le, like the 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 brainstem is more like uh, dealing with the vegetative function of of, of the body, like uh, breathing and other very basic uh, reflex. So for and the upper part of the brain, the supraesophageal part, is more. In, here is where the learning memory center are organized and the higher motor control center is organized. And uh, so if you, you can uh, create a decerebrated octopus by, move, by removing only this part of the brain. And then you find that there is some reflex that are, that are coordinated between the, uh, the arms. For example, if you take such a decerebrated uh, octopus, and you hold one of its arm, you will find that the rest of the arm is coming to help the 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 the, the taken arm. So there is a lot of coordination taken also at the lower level of of the of the, of the central nervous system, and this area has this very basic uh, surviving. Uh, uh, properties of of the central nervous system, so 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 I think you're right that it's organizing in more or less similar hierarchy of uh, of uh, of responsibility, let's say, of uh, of the animal uh, uh, behavior. So then, so we could call this a re- reflexes of the octopus. This would be a typical defensive reflex. One so arm gets stuck, and you you pull the other arms towards it. Right. Hmm? But so now, if we um, go further down, and let's say now we we also we just sever a whole uh, an arm. What can a single arm still do? Arm can do a lot, especially if you uh, if you you 
encourage it to do something like like you know like uh, like bringing a piece of food into the sucker uh, the arm can continue to survive about half a, half an hour in a, in a isolated in, 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 in normal seawater and the and the and the um, and the arm will grab the food and will behave as as uh, as uh, as is really uh, it's bringing it maybe even you you it bringing it back to the into the 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 place where the the mouse is actually there is a in 71 there was a paper in nature by Jenny Jennifer Altman who described that the octopus can bring food an isolated arm can bring food toward the the mouse by moving it along the suckers, and if you put an acid or something on this food and put it on the arm again, it will move it uh, outward. So when we started, we, uh, we, we already had some ideas that there is a, a lot of autonomy in the behavior of the, uh, of the arm itself. So, yeah, so. But now you, what you also showed is that, so, so there is some sense of, let's say, hierarchical organization of this motor system but then if you go look for let's say the organization of the of let's say the control signals of that in the central brain it looks surprisingly let's say disorganized so you don't find a somatotopic map right right? you don't find that let's say arms are represented in some coherent at least so far no one has found that yeah so how do you interpret that i think this this uh uh Fits the the idea that in order to control a flexible structure, you cannot use the what we used to define as a conventional mechanism by representing the the body the body part in the brain and use it as an input to a system that will together with the sensory information that is also represented in a in a somatotopic way will integrate into uh, initiation of, of command. And this is because it's very hard to uh, envisage a way that such, uh, let's say, it's 300 uh, sucker along the, the arm will be, and each arm, and eight arm, will be represented in a specific location in, in the brain. I think it's a lot of information. So. The octopus, I think, solved this problem by that the brain, in the brain, what is represented is what kind of behavior the higher motor center should induce as a response to some uh, specific input, sensory input. Mm-hmm. So the brain is organized in what we think, we have to test it yet, in a more of motor program organization. But it is, in some sense, doing a little something a little bit like conventional sort of inverse kinematics. So that, in order to solve this problem of reaching to a point in space, it has to, as you explained, reduce the degrees of freedom right. in the arm and make it to to uh, a number of of relatively rigid parts with joints in between them. Mm-hmm. And then you could imagine that the brain is doing some inverse kinematics in order yeah. to work out how to control that. Mm-hmm. Reduced degree of freedom system to reach a point. Yeah. So so yeah. Uh, so th- this uh, this I think what 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 is happening yeah. in the system. 
Yeah. And it, it, but in that case, wouldn't you expect something sort of convergent about the control of these high-level structures uh, compared to, for instance, the mammalian motor cortex? Isn't the control of my arm solving something of a similar problem if I'm reaching to a point in space guided by vision? Uh, re- reaching is is a, is a, uh, is is different than what we are doing. Right. Uh, so the, the motor the motor program the behavior is com- is completely different than what we are doing, and this is taking advantage of the flexibility of the arm, because reaching to a target by propagating a wave of activation and, be- and bends that propagate those arms, it's, it's something that we cannot do. Right. But the, the command to induce this kind of behavior might be very simple. It just has to uh, activate this uh, wave of uh, uh, stiffening muscles that will push the, the, arm, the, the arm toward the target. But if it would be so easy... I'm sure I would have been able to fully understand it, and there's still something missing in that picture, right? We don't. So, for instance, what what is then also strange? If there's no somatotopy to the organization of the motor uh, neurons, you could still maybe expect that, in terms of the the haptic information that that the central brain receives from the different arms, that since this would express some topological organization, might be reflected in a topological map of the body but since it, you haven't found it yeah does that maybe imply that the sensory information never reaches the central brain is that possible that the central brain only knows something about what let's say the ganglia tell it uh, at sort of a very abstract level about the arm like oh the arm is still there yeah but it doesn't receive more detailed information from all the suckers for instance so, so i think to answer you your your question i I think there are some uh, behavioral experiments that has been done by uh, uh, Wells in uh, in uh, Napoli, and they show that, for example, octopus. You can train octopus very nicely to do to do tactile discrimination, but you cannot train an octopus to do with one arm one task and with the other arm different task. The training, the learning is is general to the entire arm. To all arms. To all arms. So if I learn, if I learn a tactile discrimination with arm number one, one I can it also will do be it generalized with arm three. to the all other arms. So that would mean central brain is involved. Yes, of course, right. it's, it's in, involved in, in in the learning, but it but it's not involved in the specific uh, uh, arm. But still, no one has found some sort of somatotopic map. Of that in the central brain. Of the central, no, not okay. yet. So, and and similarly, for example, is 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 with motor command. Mm-hmm. When octopus extend arm or several arm together, it never extend one arm in a higher speed, and the other one with a mm-hmm. with a smaller one, mm-hmm. with with a slower speed. But are you? It's st- always ha- will have the same, the same speed. As mm-hmm. if a real a single program has been mm-hmm. evolved, right. and maybe there is a gating mechanism that determine at the lower mm-hmm. level which arm will be mm-hmm. uh, activated by right. this uh, by this uh, uh, motor program. But now, um, so about the, the sensory representation of let's say 
uh, touch haptic information that comes from these arms you people have looked for that and also found the same kind of broad distribution in in the central brain or yeah. people have just not really looked for it yet in detail uh, what what i have uh, have showed today is that when we record from uh, the central brain from the uh, higher motor center we find that there is no specific representation of specific uh, uh, area in the body in the central brain. But wait, I thought that was with respect to motor action. What you showed us is for different movements, right? No, but all, but what we have shown. Yeah. But what we have shown also that if you record from this site in the uh, in the higher motor center in the brain, and you stimulate tactily different parts of the body you can get response from different area in the body. So if you get the response from one arm, you will get from the other arm, and even from the mental or from the, or from, or from the sucker. Mm -hmm. So there is no, it seems that the, the conventional uh, representation doesn't exist in this okay. It still might be mm -hmm. that this information is presented in different uh, units that are mm -hmm. activated by... by uh, so, but you, you, you would, at this point in time, given what you know, say, uh, both with respect to the somatosensory processing and motor control, there is no... No somatotopic... Exactly. Yeah. Uh, organization. Yeah. All right. So, and that also led you to this point that, that, that you pushed rather strongly in your presentation, that the octopus is able to generate these complex behaviors without a map of its body. Right. So now I could argue with that by saying, well, one, you just haven't found it yet, and the organization is just such that it is not easy to interpret. So there's still yeah. a body representation, yeah. because in some sense you do see that the central brain is involved in yeah. controlling the body. We have this generalization that you also just described, yeah. right? I can learn on one arm and ex execute with the other arm. Yeah. Wouldn't that actually imply that there must be something like a body representation somewhere and you just haven't found it yet? Yeah, it, it's it's very well can can be, but what I showed that some of that at least two movements that I uh, analyzed, which is the reaching movement and the fetching movement, we can explain the motor program that generate this movement on on the action of the peripheral nervous system, uh, uh, neuromuscular system itself. Mm -hmm. So for example, in reaching movement, we have shown that you can generate a perfectly well extension movement in amputated arm by, by stimulating the mm -hmm. arm uh, nerve cord. So it means that the cap at least irrespective of central representation, it is possible to generate such movement in amputated arm. It means that the program are embedded in the... Well, not necessarily, right? Because as we discussed earlier, there might be hierarchical structuring, right? So if you decorticate me, I might still be able to make, let's say, walking-like rhythmic movements with right. my legs. And that does not imply that the bit you just removed from my brain is not representing my body or controlling it or whatever. It just means I have lower level reflexes that give structure to the behaviors I generate. Uh -huh. 
So, so isn't that then the same case here? Because we can look at, let, let's uh, let's look at the reaching actions. That yeah. So my, my argument would be well, maybe the reaching is really like a very simple reflex. It's a very important reflex for this animal. That is basically used as as a movement primitive by higher level systems. Right. Right. So what you really show, and this is true, it is it is definitely a reflex that sits very close to to the, the organization of a single arm, because a single arm can almost generate a reaching movement. Right. So how do reaching movements exactly come about? How does this work in a in the octopus arm? So without the central brain, right? Yes. So uh, what we think happens is that by stimulating locally at the base of the arm, we generate a motor programs that propagate along the arm and activate both the transversal and longitudinal muscle and create a, a stiffening wave, which pushes actually passively at the bend forward. Mm-hmm. And this is, has similar kinematics to what is, we see in a freely behaving mm-hmm. animal. So it so what we think is that maybe this movement or the command for this movement are stored in the central brain. Mm-hmm. So the way to activate this movement is stored in the higher motor center. And it's based, and therefore we say that in the, maybe in the central uh, nervous system what is, what, is, what is decoded is the motor program right. ra- rather mm-hmm. than information based mm-hmm. on the different sure. part of the... Of so the what body. you're saying is, look, I have, I have the longitudinal muscle, I have the transversal muscle, and then we have, again, a, a muscle sheet around that at the outside. Yeah. It's a, yeah, if, I drive, if, if I drive those from inside, so from, from proximal to distal, in, in sort of... It doesn't need to be a wave, actually. It's a single wave front that moves yeah. to the edge. And... By activating all these muscles, I create stiffness of, yeah. of this hydrostat, this arm. Yeah. And I just have that, that, that instruction and just has to move distally through yeah. my arm. Right. This is roughly the, the idea, yeah. no? The, the, what, what the brain has to do is to scale this movement. Because we know that octopus can extend its arm in different speed. And this is probably is done by, via a, a central command. Mm-hmm. But the the propagating signal then passes through a number of neural stages. So how many neurons? So so how many ner- how many synapses do I cross to go from proximal to distal? Many many many. There are, there are uh, there are uh, 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 four hundred thousand motor neurons in each arm, and they are organized very closely one to each other. And the nerve roots that go from the nerve, from the nervous system to the arm, leave the 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 uh, the root leave the central nervous system of the arm every hundred micro micrometer. So there is a very very uh, refined innovation of the uh, muscle structure by the neural system. Mm-hmm. But what also interesting is when we study the properties of the uh, neuromuscular connection, we find that this connection is is unlikely in all other invertebrates, doesn't have any short-term plasticity. So it seems more that the neural activity actually determines in more or less linear way what will be the, the motor action. And this fit, what we find that octopus probably use a feed-forward program 
to activate this kind of, uh, for example, the reaching movement. Mm -hmm. Okay, but then in the case of reaching, do these motor neurons have any kind of spontaneous activity? Or they must be driven by, let's say, a command neuron that sits at the base no. of the arm? I think when, when probably these motor neurons also are active during local movement of the arm. There is searching, there is bending, there is a lot of movement that goes on in the amputated arm. So this kind of movements also are controlled by the, by the motor neuron of the arm. Mm -hmm. but, but then I assume that this is uh, uh, coordinated by local circuit, which, in, uh, which, is, which is embedded in the local ganglia, which is each ganglia is, is located next to the one of the 300 uh, suckers that are running al along the arm. When a central command is coming through the axonal tract, which run above the, the ganglia structure, it's probably uh, uh, activate all of the motor neurons which are needed to produce this brain-directed uh, mm -hmm. So the central brain axons cruise all the way through the arm to the end? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There is a gradation, but I think there is a lot of, uh, mm -hmm. of uh, for example, uh, one of the possibility, uh, uh, and I think one student asked this question during, during my talk, is how the octopus generate this uh, band at different location along the arm. So we had uh, the idea that what might exist in this system is, is a labeled line where, where neurons from the brain are going to a specific site and along the arm, and the octopus determine where, not mm -hmm. only to activate the, the movement, but also where. Right. But we didn't find the, yet any indication for such label line right. theory. But that's for the, the fetch. That's for the fetching behavior, right? So now, if we just look at the reaching. No, this is for this is for for the reaching actually. Okay. Uh, uh, what I'm speaking mm -hmm. now. Okay. The, in in the fetching movement, we are le less. Uh, let's say our ideas are not that okay. concrete because right. we don't know exactly mm. what's going on. We know so so let, let, let's let's wait for let's let's first figure out the the, the reaching. Um, but now a typical thing, at least as a non-expert, you see in these in these octopus movies, also the, the ones you showed, is sort of this this sort of wavy wiggling of the of the arms, right? Yeah. So that would suggest that there is also some sort of pattern generator behind that. So do these motor neurons in the arm have pattern generator-like properties? Uh, I think pattern generator is, is, is a valid term to use in this, uh, in this case. Uh, but I'm not sure, for example, I don't think that it's based on rhythmical pattern generating. So you can generate patterns that will induce, for example, arm reaching. So this is pattern, generating patterns which which is producing the the behavior. But is but it's not in the in the general sense when we speak on pattern on central pattern generator where we create a rhythmical movement ma mainly to control uh, locomotion mm -hmm. and coordination between arms. This. Uh, I think it's less likely, but 
Mm -hmm. So it's more like a variable, a more variable pattern generator. But are you saying it's maybe not so dependent on single cells and more dependent on networks of cells? Is that really the implication? Yeah, I think it's very uh, dependent on on network connection Mm -hmm. in the the right. But now, so what you talked to uh, earlier, which is important here, is that okay when when we talk about reaching, we sort of have a wave of stiffening running through this arm. If we now go to a, a next level of behavior, which is more complex, which is fetching, what you showed is if an object touches the arm at some point, this leads to, and, and it wants to now fetch this object to bring it to the mouth, or however you call that in the octopus. Um, now you see a very specific reconfiguration reconf- of the arm. Right. That it, it creates even virtual joints in, in, in right. the arm. So how how does that work? So uh, we correlate this behavior with with a recording, EMG recording. It's a very complex behavior, but we managed to do it. And what we discovered that probably the uh, touching of the food in one of the sucker activate a two wave of propagation of muscle contraction. One which coming from the from the from the base of the arm, and one which go from the more or less place where the the arm touches the food, and they are propagating in in the same more or less the same speed one toward the other, in 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 the, and in such a form that where the point where they are colliding, this will set the site where the virtual elbow, if you like. Would be created, mm-hmm. and then in a, uh, in a kind of uh, motor programs that we don't uh, understand yet, there is a rotation of this elbow that brings the uh, uh, the food to the mouth, mm-hmm. exactly as we do when we take something with our hand and bring it mm. uh, to the mouth. But this configuration, reconfiguration, looks very complex, right? Because it means I have to stiffen the part that becomes a segment. Yeah. I have to then release a small part that becomes my my virtual elbow. Yeah. However, I also have to give that a directionality. Yeah. It cannot be, let's say, flexible in all directions. Yeah. It's a constrained flexibility. Yeah. So, so how is that done? No, the arm has some structure that goes from the dorsal to the ventral part. So you can imagine that all all movement are done in the same uh, planarity, where the Sucker is pointing downward. Mm-hmm. So maybe you know that such a bend in the arm, which serves as an elbow, uh, and we don't know yet, and then this is one of the experiments that we would like to do, if simply two waves, because of the structure of the muscular structure, it will be enough that two waves of activation will collide with each other due to the structure of the muscular system, a bend a rotation will be created at this at this point. Otherwise, it, it may need a, a, a more specific mm-hmm. activation of dorsal versus ventral mm-hmm. part of, of, the, of the musculature. But why, why would the collision of these two waves give me a joint? I mean, then you would expect that dependent on the width of your wave, your joint would be of variable you know, size. Yeah. And also that you won't have such a very discrete transition. Yeah. Well, if you look at the behavior, it seems very well circumscribed yeah. where yeah. you insert that joint, yeah, yeah. no? Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. So, 
and therefore I think the the only way is to test it by a, a experiment mm-hmm. to see if first maybe it's recreated by two wave of, of muscle activation so what we have to do is to stimulate the arm from two sides and see if we can control the point where the 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 band will be be uh, initiated or it won't it won't happen mm-hmm. and then we uh, we may uh, look for a mechanism whereby a more specific activation of the muscle meaning that the dorsal muscle will stiffen while the ventral part will shorten in order to create uh, this band mm-hmm. but now but what you also showed that that um dependent on the distance from the item from from the from the stimulus yeah that touches the arm to the base of the arm dependent on that distance the length of the segments will vary right yeah. this is one thing you showed yeah but then is the number of virtual joints i generate always the same like i think it's two no and in, yeah it's all in your examples it was always two two yes with one distal one yeah. uh, which serves as a hand mm-hmm. but the two are exactly the same mm-hmm. and this virtual uh, uh, segment are uh, created in accordance with the with the with the site where the food is was taken so this is a dynamical uh, 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 way of constructing an, an elbow in accordance with the, with what uh with what uh with where the food is uh, has been uh, uh catched mm-hmm. and and this is of course a dynamical structure completely different from that's that already important no because it means it will never generate three joints or one joint no the, the, mm-hmm. it's dictated by a very uh specific motor program this structure but does it also mi- so already the, tell you the some critical properties of the wave like response that you depend on because that means this wave has a certain length right? yeah. it has a certain boundary on its length it cannot extend beyond let's say what the segment length dictates and it can never get shorter than that the interference pattern gives rise to more than two do- joints right so so doesn't this wave like response that that you built your argument on yeah um doesn't the number of segments we get and the intersegment distance tell you something about the 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 phase of that of that uh, or the period of that wave because you you talk about two colliding waves yes. that give you joints yes. so if you already know that these joints must be at some minimum distance it tells you something about the period and the phase of these two waves yeah no? but but this the time of the and the period it depends on what determined them is the site where the food was mm-hmm. grabbed so the the time and and the distance is actually the variable which determined mm-hmm. this the size right. of the articulated structure mm-hmm. and this right. depended on where the octopus got the target right so now we see that actually locally such an arm already has a lot of capabilities right, right in terms of its articulation controlling these unspecified numbers of degrees of freedom and actually when it has to act it freezes its degrees of freedom and reduces them yeah. into few right right um maybe i guess four right because of the we have the base I of the arm i think it's three yeah so, well i was thinking maybe the wiggly tip might count i don't know uh okay yeah but okay three let's say yeah so so this is interesting right that that basically what is what what the octopus is doing with its hydrostat 
is given the context, it just freezes its degrees of freedom. Right. Right. And then, and but the point is that with that it can build multiple configurations, which right. then can solve so the, the task. So this right. is the beauty because this is also what people want to uh, to simulate in in a f inflexible robot. Sure. This mm -hmm. new spe special space of controlling the structure, controlling the the, mm -hmm. the shape shape of the of the robot. Right. Reshaping. The, it's a very mm -hmm. robust. Mechanism to you to build a, a, a flexible robot. Right. Yeah. I want I want to get to that, but first I want to understand something else better. Now we have an idea about what arms can do. We have an idea about how reflex systems can drive this arm for for especially uh, reaching. And now we talked about also fetching as a reflex-driven response. But we also have here this octopus with these huge eyes that are really highly developed. The eyes are linked to the central brain, and with the eyes it will detect prey. And then, given the prey detection, the central brain will decide to reach for that for that uh, prey and catch it, right? So now, how do you see then the central brain interface to the arms and the arm control systems? You mean in, in goal directed? Mm -hmm. Yeah, to, in, to in make reaching it, moment. Exactly to make it goal directed. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. I uh, we didn't study it, but I think what important part of it would be the base of the arm. We don't know even the. Uh, muscular organization, if it has some specific uh, structure or not. We know that along the arm, the muscular organization is exactly the same. It's very similar, despite this uh, tapering to, uh, toward the end. So we assume that there is some system which is, which is directing the base of the arm in the direction of the target. So th when the arm is stretched, it reaches the target. Mm -hmm. It might be also that the octopus are using feedback control to correct this movement. But in some experiments that we did where we trained the octopus to reach to a target, and after the arms start to move, we move the target, we see that the movement continues as a ballistic behavior. Mm -hmm. This means that it's really a feed-forward kind of movement that the octopus cannot readjust it after it has been mm -hmm. initiated. But maybe also because it moves in a medium, yeah. it would be really difficult to control it differently, right? Yeah. No, but what is nice, because the octopus is so fast learning, that it's very difficult to do this experiment because it very fastly underst understands that the movement is going to be moved. Mm -hmm. So it takes it into account when it starts the movement and can, can extend its arm to where the it knows mm -hmm. or assumes that the movement that the target mm -hmm. will be ended. So mm -hmm. how accurate is it then in these goal-oriented reaching movements? It's not very it's not very accurate in the reaching. Mm -hmm. But you have to remember that the arm is very flexible. So even if it reaches the targets close enough, we can do then a wiggle. Mm -hmm. a wiggle or something and to hold the and to get the target by Okay, so the Moving central brain, bit. so the central brain, just has to do a pretty rough target setting. Yeah, it doesn't need to be very precise. Yes. So that will be at an, with an accuracy of centimeters. Yeah. Yes, I, I think hmm. in a few centimeters. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So now, so so you, you mentioned also when, when we looked at at um, uh, octopus motor control, that it is also an example of what people call morphological computation, right? Or for how properties of the body itself, yeah, contribute. Okay to solving the control yeah. problem. So so how do you see that link? 
Exactly. I think the examples that we see for this kind of uh, computational control is really the what we just uh, spoke about, and this is the 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 fetching movement. So I think that the idea is that the site of the elbow is is controlled by propagating wave on this on the structure itself, and this is what the colliding point is determined the the site of the elbow. It's a sort of uh, a computational. Which is de- which depend on the morphology of the of the structure, mm-hmm. but wait, is that fair to say? Because you could also argue it's essentially a neural process that gives you your wave, and it's it's it's, it's interaction between the neural dynamics, right? From, let's say target induced waves and base induced waves yeah. that sets up the muscular yeah, th- response, this is com- right? And that then gives you the yeah, confirmation. Th- th- this of the is arm. completely completely true, but taking the advantage that the nervous system is in parallel with the physical structure, mm-hmm. you can use the propagation yes. of the activity in the nervous system, which is parallel to the, 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 the physical structure of mm-hmm. the arm, as a way to compute where to build the, the structure. So, mm-hmm. the stru- so the structure of the arm is important important component. The morphology of the yeah. arm itself, yeah. right. But it, it would place you a little bit in a different camp than the more extreme view that some people have expressed that that in some sense it can be pure morphology or only the body that gives you yeah. an adaptive behavior. Yeah. It, in, in your proposal, it would still depend on nervous nervous right. system intervention. Right. Yeah. Right? So yes. in that sense, it's not like an extreme... Yeah, uh, but... So, so, for example, if you want, maybe the sucker of the arm is built... It can work without a, a, a sensory uh, signal. It can, you know... Uh, attached to a surface by a simple physical uh, vacuum mm-hmm. uh, yeah. mechanism, which doesn't need any any uh, any uh, any neural, control. Uh, mm-hmm. any, any control. Mm-hmm. And actually, what seems that the octopus have a special mechanism to release the sucker mm-hmm. instead of attaching. Maybe attaching is o- occurring. Uh, spontaneously, but uh, but uh, releasing structure is more right. Like okay, yeah, that that that's a good example, really, of where, where morphology is directly implementing a function. Yeah. I would yeah. agree with you, but you were also mentioning, for instance, Rod Brooks saying that the best robot has no control. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure the, oct- the octopus would then be such a, a great robot in, if this is our definition. There's still control. Yeah, hmm? yeah, but but but. That- Mm-hmm. But I I think that the flexible arm and the, that is equipped it's very important. The sucker is very important part of the of 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 this structure. If there were were not sucker uh, distributed along the arm, the behavior would have been completely different. Mm-hmm. So be, because you can imagine that now the sucker are fingers distributed all along the arm. And this allow using such uh, flexible uh, uh, motor program to to generate uh, mm-hmm. to generate uh, right. the behavior. Mm-hmm. So I think in uh, Woodney Book uh, idea, building this kind of arm which is flexible but including many type of passive sucker is a good idea to start in building a flexible robot mm-hmm. right. and put the control on this 
physical capabilities of of the mm-hmm. of the arm. Right. But but it's interesting that often people don't put their money where their mouth is, right? Because with Rod Brooks, for instance, he he is actually running a company selling robots now, Baxter, a configurable industrial robot for fine manipulation, and it definitely has control structures in it, <laughs> yeah. and it actually uses very little of morphological computation oh, okay. to be a successful product. So it would be nice when people live up to their own uh, <laughs> their own sermons in that yeah. in that respect, right? So, so Benny, um, no, but but, but yeah? I think I, I think it's a good constraint in simplifying the control. I don't think mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's it can replace control, but it may may make control much simpler. Absolutely. Well I yeah. I, I see the point. I agree with you. This yeah. is this is a good point, yes, absolutely. So um Benny you so you've been studying the, the octopus now for how long? How many years? Twenty you years more than that. Okay. Yeah. So and you learned a lot about behavior, the, the nervous system of the octopus. So many things we have to discover. So if we want to now take your experience on board in how we study the brain, what would be Benny's law? I, I think that uh, uh, it's very dangerous to, to, to try to understand the brain without the body. And when people want to understand how behavior is is generated and controlled, they can study the brain in isolation just in order to find the properties of uh, of the component of the of the of the central of the central brain. But to understand how these properties are organized, maybe self-organized. In order to control the behavior, you have you must did part of your study do when the animal is activating the body and better even in behavior. Mm-hmm. And I think the idea of in vivo recording and doing experiments that involve uh, monitoring the action of the brain while doing actual behavior is more and more. Uh, uh, Common now in 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 our days, and uh, right, yeah. But now, in, so in some sense, from this embodiment perspective, you also have been looking at this this emerging field of soft robotics. Yeah. And do you think soft robotics has has really taken on board enough of of the insights and lessons from the study of octopus? The, I think the main problem uh, in soft robotic is the material. There is no material like musculature system, so effective, so robust, so high con- high strain, and this is this is what limit the the soft robotic at this at this stage I think, mm-hmm. but the, I think there is a lot of progression in this area, and at this point what people uh, do is that they combine different idea of the of of taken from from the soft, from the octopus, for example. So it's not only a um, constant volume constraint, but it can be the controlling of stif- stiffness. It can be uh, particle jamming. Other other ideas about that. If you think about it, it comes may come from from a biology and be implemented in the in the system in the system. I think. Also, from the control point point of view, 
the idea of distributing the control be between the central and peripheral and to leave much of the control and even more complex part of it, like even learning memory, learning in the, in the in the, at, at the level of the arm, are ideas that comes from such studies that uh, we are doing in, in, mm. in, in, in the octopus. Right. So then, last question. Five years from now, we're going to come visit you in, in Jerusalem, and um, we're going we're gonna to check whether a prediction you make today has actually been verified or not. So what's the most important prediction or hypothesis you would like to see verified in that time frame of five years? Yeah. So, so as I as I uh, uh, I mentioned, we have two 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 projects. And now we are more into the to the learning memory mechanism, and we are studying what is the mechanism of learning memory in in the octopus, and we may we may discover new solution to the problem of how the nervous system. Uh, store information. And I believe that there are many ways, and the octopus is a very good example, there are many independent ways to build complex brain. And But the, at the end, they will point to what is the universal importance in networks that can mediate uh, learning and memory. Mm -hmm. And I, I hope that we will learn enough on the mechanism of motor control of the octopus that it will be really more feasible to implement in the soft robotic. Hopefully, while we are doing our biological research, the search into uh, attenuator material will progress as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Benny Hochman, thank you very much for this conversation. Thank you. Hochner. Oh, there, sorry. The CSN podcast was produced by the Convergent Science Network of Biomimetics and Biohybrid Systems, a project funded by the European 7th Research Framework Programme. For more interviews, recorded lectures, or upcoming conferences in the field of biomimetics and biohybrid systems, go to csnnetwork.eu. And thank you for listening.